Welcome back to the South End Zone Podcast here on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason. I'm here with Eric and Timmy, as always. Well, uh, guys, the regular season and the conference championships are done. So we are officially into bowl season. we got the playoff final rankings, looking towards bowls and the end of the year and a lot of holiday, you know, crazy shit about to go down with full bellies and bowl games and lots of betting. And I don't know, man, I'm... I'm excited, but I'm kind of sad that it's coming to an end. Eric, what's going on with you down in uh, down where it's still fucking warm? Uh, it's, it's, it's warm-ish. It's it's what I like to call Georgia cold, which uh, which means it's in the upper fifties, and people are wearing coats like full on, not just like jackets or hoodies, but coats. So, but yeah, other than that, I'm good. Huh. Well, when I used to live down there, it was uh, like 91 degrees in December. But yeah, it's definitely not uh, warm up here in Pennsylvania. It's supposed to snow tomorrow. Uh, Timmy, what's going on with you, bro? Not much, man. Um, just uh, excited to talk about some of this uh, football we watched last week. It was uh, pretty good stuff, man. It was pretty good stuff. I know I'm happy. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but uh, I'm pretty pleased with the way things went. I can't imagine why. I bet you are. <laughs> shocker. Don't know. Yeah, big shocker there. So... You know, just touching uh, briefly for, you know, any of our listeners who don't follow any of the major media outlets or maybe you missed some stuff this weekend, playoff rankings are out. We got uh, Alabama 1, Michigan 2, Georgia 3, and Cincinnati. Nice call, Timmy. They are in. So you've been saying it all year long. You thought that's the way the wind was blowing, and that's what happened, man. So nice call there. I don't know if you had a bet out there for that, but uh, if you had a future on that, good for you. But before we get into all of that and the recaps, I'm going to I'm going to hit the coaching carousel because oh, man, it Eric, before I hit this, I want to get your opinion on something because Ooh, okay. I, I think this is really over. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> over. <laughs> oh, whatever it is. <laughs> over is the answer. Yeah, it needs to be over because I think that when it initially became a thing, like it was probably a good idea. And what I'm talking about is the early signing period. I think that is the reason why we are seeing so much turnover early in the year. You know, coaches taking jobs mid-season and shit. Like, I, I think it's just like the early signing period has sort of created a monster with this coaching carousel. I mean, am I way off base there? To no, think you're not. I, I think that's the biggest. It needs to go back to the way it was. <laughs> I- I think that's a big part of why you're seeing so many guys, you know, get, you know, week six, week, week nine, whatever. Um, you know, because a lot of these guys are getting let go. You know, one of the reasons is their, their rosters, you know, they, they didn't build a talented enough roster. And I think kind of the, the perception is, Hey, if we wait till after the, if we give this guy the season and wait till after, you know, we're behind everybody, you know, the, the early signing day is next week. So yeah. if I, if I wait until, uh, after that, you know, we saw it with uh, Tennessee is a good example. Um, you know, all the stuff with Jeremy Pruitt happened and they let him go and some guys from his staff. And that was in, I want to say like January or February, if I'm not mistaken. And they had signed all these kids uh, on the initial early signing the early period. signing period, yeah. And all those dudes transferred. <sighs> right, all, all these, I mean, which, which makes some amount of sense. I mean, part of the reason you commit to a school is to play for that coach. Right. That's the guy who's been following you, building the relationship you've been talking to. He's given you kind of the outline of what you're going to do and how you're going to be used. Well, that guy's not there anymore. And you don't know who's coming in, what that guy thinks of you. If so, and I think schools are trying to avoid that, which is why you see not only coaches 
getting fired earlier and earlier into the year, but getting hired as well. Right. We saw it, you know, Clay Helton took the Georgia Southern job in like, gosh, must've been probably like week 10 or so. Yeah. Basically that, cause they're like, Hey, just get out here and recruit for us. You don't even have to coach yet. He's been <laughs> recruiting all over Georgia for a month. I don't know. It's just, it's created sort of a coaching arms race early in the season. And I think it's a big distraction for some of the kids. Like, and it, like you say, you got a kid that's committed and he's whatever. And then the coach ejects mid season to take another job. It's like, what the, what the fuck? I mean, it just, it, it's not good for the kids. I don't think so. This early signing period, while it had noble intentions initially, I think it has really created some negativity. So I don't know. I think it needs to be revisited. Yeah, definitely some unintended consequences. And, yeah, 100%. And, and in a lot of cases, like you said, it, it is hurting the kids, which is really should be the driver for evaluating and maybe changing it is, well, now you've got kids who have been thinking for, you know, eight months, hey, I'm going to so-and-so, uh, you know, wherever you're committed to, and that's your plan, that's your plan. And then, you know, potentially four weeks before you're going to enroll in January, now you're, now you're starting over. Yeah, I think this is the first year that I can remember where I've heard a lot of the stories like you heard at Notre Dame where guys are leaving a kid's house and they get the news that the coach is ejecting. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm sure that's happened in the past, but maybe it's just social media and there's a lot more people talking and whatever, but I don't, I don't know. It's just, I I think it needs to go back to the way it was, man. Just regular old signing day, February 4th. Like just, I don't know. I don't know why why we changed it up. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So yeah. Or even just move. If you, if you insist on doing an early signing period, move it back until after the season's actually done. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So, uh, but talking about the coaching carousel, Timmy, I want to bring this to you because, uh, this happened basically right after last week's episode. Um, basically as soon as we finished recording, we started hearing the, the rumors of, uh, Virginia tech, hiring Penn State's defensive coordinator. So, so hit me with that, man. Like what is, I mean, what kind of hire is this? Is this like, is this guy going to be, I mean, I don't even know anything about him. Has he ever actually been a head coach anywhere? So um, as far as I can tell, you know, this was a very under the radar hire, but a very good hire. As you said, he was previously the defensive coordinator at Penn State. Um, he's been with James Franklin for a long time. He was with him at Vanderbilt. Um, so he's got a lot of history. So he's definitely under the James Franklin coaching tree. And really the reason they brought him in here was because he got his, uh, his start as a graduate assistant at Virginia Tech. So he has a feel for the area and he has a feel for what the traditions uh, are at that school. And they wanted to get back to that. You know, they wanted to get back to recruiting you know, the Virginia area and bringing a lot of that talent in there, which is what made them such a powerhouse, you know, from 2000 to 2012. You know, they were recruiting kids out of the Norfolk area, like, you know, Tyrod Taylor and Ryan Williams and all those kids, and they made them special teams. Um, They want to get back to that. Um, And he's assembling a staff that's got that vision. So it's it's a pretty good hire, in my opinion. I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, I think... uh you're right on there. Fuente seems like by all accounts, he sort of ejected on recruiting the, like he kind of burned the pipelines, I guess it seems like. Yeah. He's, he screwed up a lot of relationships and he had a philosophy for some reason that he was going to go out and recruit Texas. Cause that's what he knew. And he had relationships from when he was at TCU and it's like, look, man, 
You may be able to get some kids from out there, but you can't ignore the four and five star kids that are in your backyard. You know what I mean? Yeah, that can't be your base. Brent Pry should be interesting. I mean, that Penn State didn't have a very good season uh, overall, but I don't think defense was necessarily their biggest issue. I mean, I know Eric's talked about it. Some of the games they lost, like Illinois, <laughs> they only gave up 20 points, you know, so it's not yeah, like – In nine overtimes. Yeah, in nine overtimes. So it's not like their defense was terrible this year. Um, you know, they had some bad games, but, you know, in this day and age, you're – just about every team is going to have one or two a year where they give up a ton of points or whatever. So, um, but moving forward, I'm going to stick in the ACC for a minute and uh, I'm going to use it as a segue to get to another job. I want to talk about Clemson for a couple of seconds. Timmy, I know you're a big ACC guy. So Clemson has now lost their defensive coordinator, uh, Brent Venables to Oklahoma, which we'll touch on in a minute. But now what I'm also hearing is that Tony Elliott may be a shoe in yep. for the Duke job. <laughs> so yep. usually typically when you see coordinators like this leave it's because they've been waiting a long time for head jobs that are elite and whatever and maybe that's the case with Venables or maybe not he's turned down several head jobs over the years turned down uh, the Auburn job you know I think maybe the Tennessee job so I'm wondering if there's something more going on here because typically you don't see coaches leave after nine and three season typically it's like after an 11 and 2 or a 13 and 0 then you see all the coordinators start ejecting to take big jobs and so on and so forth but after a 9 and 3 down year now you've lost both coordinators i mean i don't really one, have a one big of them prospect going to duke? Of, yeah <laughs> yeah one going to duke which to get is his the ass most kicked. underrated job in the country but yeah yeah well we'll get back to that but so you, I mean, I, I just don't get it. Like, why would they leave after a nine and three year? No real prospect of a great quarterback coming in. Like, are we seeing like, is there more to this, or is it just happenstance that these jobs that they wanted came open? So it's not a it's not a good look for Clemson at all. Um, there's got to be something underneath the surface there, like you're alluding to. But I think at least with Venables, you know, we've seen his name circle around there over the years when, you know, big time head coaching positions opened up. And like you said, he's turned him down. Either it wasn't the right school or I was still a little bit surprised he ejected after this year, considering that his kids are on the team. Um, he's coaching them. I thought that would be enough to keep him around, at least until they were done there. Um I was actually anticipating Tony Elliott getting out of there before he would. Um, but once Venables left, I said, Tony Elliott's a shoe in. Um, he's going to go somewhere. You know, the band's breaking up. The party's over. Um, now I think we'll get to, to see what Dabo Sweeney's really made of because those guys have been a staple there at Clemson for a really long time and been a big part of their success. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, they, it's not like they've let up on recruiting. I mean, you know, their their recruiting class is – you know, pretty good. It's still up there. I mean, it's not a top three class right now, but I'm not concerned overly about their recruiting. I mean, because Clemson's facilities are the top, you know, I would say easily top four in the country, you know, right up there with Oregon, Texas A&M, Texas, that kind of stuff. I mean, they're, they've got some of the best facilities in the nation. So I, I don't necessarily worry about their recruiting, but looking at their roster and what they've got coming back, and now you see coordinators ejecting for jobs. I'm going, eh, shit, man, this don't look good. Like, I wonder, <laughs> it just, it just makes you wonder, you know, like why, why now? Why after a nine and three year? 
I, I don't know. I mean, Eric, do you have any like pertinent thoughts to this? Are, are we crazy? Well, you should know that. Well, so Venable's leaving in a vacuum uh, for the Oklahoma job where he was an assistant. That that wouldn't be like a red flag for me. But, you know, Tony Elliott also, he's been the the offensive coordinator for this is his second year. Before that, he was co-OC with Jeff Scott, who left two years ago. Yeah, he's ago. been there since uh, 2011, I think. Yeah, now, right. He, uh, yeah, I think 2012, and I think they hired him to replace Billy Napier, who was Dabo's original OC back in the day. But um, they had co-offensive coordinators. One left two years ago, and now the other one's leaving. So we might be, this time next year, looking back saying, well, you know, it was a good run, but hey, he's got some pretty important impactful decisions to make on who he's going to replace those guys with i want winners well and two it's not like it's not like the alabama syndrome you know where they where they change over coordinators every year i mean clemson has been i mean i would say it's historic for the amount of time that they've been able to keep the same bunch of guys and i remember Dabo even took like before he got this big extension he took a big pay cut to keep Venables and some of those other guys right there. to so bump up his assistant pool right so it's not like you know a situation of well he's getting paid all the money and we don't we're not getting paid so we're going to eject so I, I don't know I just I thought that was interesting to see that after so many years those guys ejecting but since we uh discussed Brent Venables he did take the Oklahoma job I don't know what he's getting paid has anybody seen that does anybody know what he's getting paid well, you should know that. I don't think I've seen an actual I haven't number. Seen anything firm? No. I, I would assume it's in the same, you know, maybe a step below uh, some of these other ones, like the Kellys, Rileys, Crystal Balls of the world. We're seeing. If I had to guess, I'd say probably something like seven million a year. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure it's uh, probably more than he was making <laughs> as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, it is a raise to be sure. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, he was probably making close to two million, maybe over it. But uh, yeah, he was over, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's uh, been the highest paid assistant in the country for a couple of years now. Yeah, and I mean, rightfully so. I mean, his defense yeah. has been excellent every year, right? So. Which is part of the reason he was able to be picky. Yeah, uh, about and, taking a head job. And I think, like you said, he did spend so much time there under Stoops. You know, at Oklahoma, what'd you say? Nine years he was there. So well, I mean, it's even more than that. He was a he played linebacker at karate state and his defensive coordinator at the time was a young up and coming coach named Bob Stoops. Oh, well I mean, he's there. been a, yeah. he's been a Stoops guy. Like we talked about in the, in the group chat, you know, uh, one of you guys asked, you know, is he even an Oklahoma guy? He's like, well, kind of, but really he's a Stoops guy. Yeah. And I think well, in Norman, Oklahoma, that carries a shit ton of weight. It would seem because for all you listeners out there, that's Kansas state actual. <laughs> Yeah, karate state. Damn you, autocorrect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I think it's good that they actually went out and got a defensive guy. I'm actually interested to see it. It's like, oh shit, we're going to the SEC. We might need somebody who needs to co- who learn knows how to coach defense. Yeah, so. and that's part of the reason I really like it for them is because he's a guy they're familiar with. He's a he's he's known as an excellent recruiter. I mean, you know, look at his the rosters he helped put together at Clemson. Well, it's not like he's taking over a bad team. And it's not. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. you know, but they do need to get, you know, they need to get someone who can get them to play defense in the next couple of years before they move. Because their, their current style uh, that they've, they've, <laughs> of, of defense, air quotes. The wet paper bag defense yeah, isn't going to work in the not, SEC. No, that is like no. job one is fix their defense. Yeah. And he's the no, guy to do that. 
Yeah, that would not be them and the SEC right now would not be pretty. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe you can get it turned around. But the last guy Tennessee with more money. (laughs) The last situation I want to talk about here is this whole Miami, Manny Diaz, Oregon, Mario Cristobal uh, situation here. Um, Apparently, apparently, uh, like Timmy said, the writing was on the wall for old Manny. But I guess the university did a really piss poor job uh, keeping it tight lipped because it seemed like everybody in the world knew exactly what was going on, but yet the assistant coaches are still out recruiting for Diaz and all this shit. Meanwhile, he's still under contract and they're talking to Mario Cristobal, who is still under contract with Oregon. And all of a sudden, Manny Diaz is fired less than 24 hours later. Cristobal is in Miami. So, Timmy. Well, I mean, if you're Manny Diaz, you can't be shocked, right? I no, mean, you can't. Your athletic director got shit canned in the middle of the year, and you're just kind of standing there like, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, can't, can't don't be look shocked. over here. <laughs> can't be shocked about what? Getting fired. Okay, no, I that mean, part, that part, you can't, he, no, I'm sure, and I'm sure he wasn't shocked, but the part about how poorly and shady the, the thing was handled, it, I found it kind of shocking personally. I'm sure yeah, he did too. Well, I mean, I get it from Diaz's perspective in that you don't want to be the guy that like goes up there and threatens to resign or whatever because I mean they paid him seven million fucking dollars to walk away or eight million. So from his perspective, he's like, well, I don't really care about all this shit. If I get fired, I'm getting a cool eight million. So I'm just going to keep doing me. So I think that's probably the way he was looking at it. But, right. Uh, but he also could have and should have gotten that $8 million without being, you know, treated with zero dignity. Yeah. I mean, that it's rough, but. Like, I he's the only like- one who, out of this situation, who doesn't come out looking like an asshole, <laughs> including Mario Cristobal. Well, he might So, have, the he- other interesting thing with, with Miami and tying it back to Clemson and what, what that's going to mean for them is their athletic director they hired was Clemson's athletic director. So. The cupboard's real bare up there in South Carolina, man. Yeah. Now, is that a done deal, or is that just the guy they're trying to get? No, that's done. Yeah, that's that's a done deal. Okay, I hadn't yeah. seen that. I, I'd, yeah. I'd seen the last couple of days, like, hey, number one target, we're in talks with them. I didn't see that it was, like, finalized. I think it is. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, my understanding was that was pretty much a foregone conclusion. So, um, but back to this Cristobal situation. I, is Miami a better job than Oregon? <coughs> I mean- I get, I, I get, I get. Sorry, all I choked of, on air at that. <laughs> Hang on, hear me out. I get all of the, you know, Cristobal's a Miami guy. That's where he went to school. All, all of that. Well, I'm, hold on. Let me interrupt you for a second. I, I got to get the accurate question on this. Okay. Is it a better job now, or are we hopping in the DeLorean and going back to 2002? Well, I'm talking right now. Because right now, no. No. Okay. No, for someone so, who was not born and raised in Miami and played for the Hurricanes, no, it is absolutely not a better job. It is not in the same galaxy as Oregon. That's kind of what I'm, I mean, outside of, I mean, I know we talked about it in the group chat a little bit, like outside of just being able to recruit, you know, the Miami-Dade area right there in your backyard, I don't really see a large advantage to this because obviously if you're in Oregon, you got to get on a plane to go find elite recruits. That's just the way it is. It's understood, but at Oregon, they are invested, man. They, I mean, they have some of the nicest facilities in the country. They got Nike in their back pocket. I mean, it just, 
I think it's a much deeper issue at Miami than just who's the coach. I mean, am I wrong? Nope. No. And then even just looking at the the two conferences, he's going from the Pac-12 to the ACC. And, you know, it's not like he's leaving one conference that's bottlenecked where he can't win a conference title to go to another one that he can. Like, it doesn't make sense. No. Okay. So, yeah, it really doesn't make sense to me either outside of, like I said, I know he's a Miami guy, but I don't see them. I mean, okay. I point back to Miami and do we really think this new athletic director is going to turn shit around so much that it's not going to be like in 2015 when Mark Rick, by the way, had to pay 1 million fucking dollars of his own money just to get them an indoor practice facility. What are we talking about? Six years ago, so is that like, is the question, are things different? Are they going to be different with yes. this new athletic director? Yes. So you think they're going to start spending yeah. millions so and I re- millions of dollars? And I didn't know this until this morning. I read an article. Um, so the University of Miami, their hospital, like their, their health department made something in line with like 350 or $400 million in profit the last year and a half for whatever reason, probably having to do with, uh, COVID. They've had, they've drummed up a lot of business in the last year and a half, and they are reallocating a lot of that money towards the athletic department. How much? I don't know, but they they apparently convinced Mario Cristobal that they're going to open up the purse strings. So that which yes would be different from the head football coach spending his own money to help get a practice facility built. But even then, no, it's still not a better job. Still not even close. No, and I just see it as like a deep cultural issue there, man. Like not necessarily with the team or the players, you know, I mean, Cristobal is a hell of a recruiter. He'll be able to get good players to come there. I mean, I I have no doubt about that, but are they really going to give him all the resources that he wants? I know he's kind of a resource hound, whatever, but I don't see it. I mean, why now? Like you've been shitty for basically since 2001 and, you know, you've let everybody else surpass you not only in recruiting, but in facilities. I mean, fucking Florida A&M has nicer facilities than Miami. It's pathetic. I mean, the only thing that you have to, you know, boil it down to is, you know, the majority of people in, in this, you know, line of work are motivated by money and other factors like that. And, you know, maybe his main motivation was to come back home. I mean, that's the only thing that I can think of. Yeah, well, it's got to be that. Like we talked about in the group chat, it it, it is... I don't view this as a football move. I think there's more kind of sentimental, you know, hometown or personal pride type of thing, kind of that aspect of it. Yeah, because, I mean, we do forget sometimes he coached FIU, you know, and went 27 and 47 and then found his nice home and Nick Saban's wayward home for, you know, fired coaches and uh, has done well for himself since. So Yeah, he did well there, too. Yeah, he did. I mean, he was a great offensive line coach, and he's done well at Oregon. You know, he's won a couple of Pac-12 championships. and uh, But, you know, he didn't win the Pac-12 championship this year. He, mm. he might have made it, but um, I do want to jump into the recaps here because <laughs> uh, we all saw the Utah and Oregon line uh, this past week, and it was minus two and a half, and we all yep. laughed at it and said that was insane. And we thought it was Superman three missing a decimal point. Yeah. Missing a decimal point. Yeah. And final score was uh, 38 to 10 Utah 
just jumped all over them, you know, was up 25 zip at halftime and kept their foot <laughs> on the gas. And Utah covered the decimal point too. Yes. Yeah. It was a complete and utter beat down. So again, I, you know, yeah, again, uh, two weeks apart. So I will say this, you know, you guys know that I've been, you know, more of a, we need to stay at four in the playoff kind of guy, <laughs> but something like Timmy always says where a team gets hot or they, whatever, they change quarterbacks, whatever. If Cam Rising would have been at Utah as the starter all year, they'd probably have one loss and be in the playoffs. Um, because I'm going to tell you, nobody wants to play those those guys right now. Nobody. No, they would be, if, if they were in a 12-team field, they'd be like the least desirable 11 seed you ever heard of. That's right. Yeah, they would be, I mean, they've been killing people. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. That, to me, like we've said in the group chat where I'm like, well, yeah, if you eliminate the bullshit games, the Western Michigans and the FCS teams and that kind of stuff, I'm all for 12 teams. Because a team like Utah validates that argument. They are really, really tough. They've lost three games this year, but man, they just, Cam Rising has taken them to another level. And granted, he didn't do anything spectacular in that game, but he really didn't have to because Oregon didn't do shit. <laughs> you know, they didn't even score a touchdown to the fourth quarter. It was complete and utter dominance the entire game. So Utah, Pac-12 champs, just like I said. So you guys can all suck it on that note. Um, uh, especially. Especially Timmy and Hunter. <laughs> Thank Eric you. kind of yeah, whatever, dude. Eric kind of agreed. But uh yeah, just like I said, man, Utah. Told you. Yeah. I I think I said they would I, I think I had them winning the South, not necessarily the division. I thought they had them playing for the for the conference, but not necessarily winning. But Yeah. Uh, well, my exact quote was I think very possibly, very possibly win the Pac twelve. And uh I got Completely ostracized for that, man. But uh, you guys are eating your words right now a little bit, uh, Timmy and Hunter. Hunter, I'm sure you're watching soccer somewhere, but uh, yeah. So who was right? That's fine. He'll be listening to this next Monday. You must think I'm dumb. (laughs) I don't think he listens at all, personally. All right. So moving forward in the conference championships, I want to talk about uh, the other couple of conference championships that didn't have any impact on the playoff. Uh, Pittsburgh and Wake. Over. Way more fun than the other conference. Yeah, over. <laughs> Way more. And it went under, under, just like I said. Yeah, under 72 and a half. Good God, call, over was Timmy. looking delicious, too, there for like a quarter and a half. It was, man. It was, uh, what the total was 40, let's see, what was it? The final score ended 20. up being 45-21. I think yeah, the closing it was 20, line. Like 20, 24-21, like somewhere in the second quarter, yeah, I'm pretty that's sure. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And. Eric's over here singing his praises, you know, the over's going to hit. And I'm like, you know, Lee Corso over here, hold on a minute, my friend. <laughs> Not so fast. Just, just, just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I would like to preface this uh, little game recap with, if I am a defensive player for any team, if Kenny Pickett is running the ball, I'm just going to take one for the team and take a targeting penalty. Because that that little fake slide horseshit, like, I mean, good on him that he pulled it off and it was cool and he scored and yeah, it's a highlight and all that. But if I'm a defensive player, I take that shit personal and I fucking lay him out the first chance I get. So first off, that was one of the most impressive feats of athleticism I think I've ever seen to be able to damn near go into a slide. I mean, like his knee was like an inch off the ground. And to recover from it and then go back full speed, <laughs> that was impressive. 
Second of all, they need to change the rule after that because, like you said, somebody is going to get ear holed going into a slide because of that. Because what else are you supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. Now, if you're, you're going to kick guys out for for hitting a quarterback who slides late, and then allow a quarterback to fake a slide, you're going to you're going to make guys choose. Like, do I let this guy score or do I decapitate him? And guys are going to yeah. choose decapitation. So. Yeah, absolutely. If I'm a defensive player, that's what I'm doing every time. Even if he's actually sliding, I'm taking him out. Fuck him. <laughs> like, you know, okay, you want to make a highlight reel out of your fake slide? Guess what? You may be sliding for real this time, yeah, but you ain't coming back in the game. Right. Yeah, that's right. You're not coming back at the game after this because I'm about to just tattoo you. So I don't know. I mean, I know Ryan Clark tweeted about it, you know, former Steeler. He was. I mean, he's like, this is the first step towards a big-ass targeting penalty coming up. And I would shock me if we saw it. You know, whatever bowl game they're playing in, I can't even remember at this particular moment. But yeah. I'm a defensive player. I'm, I got my head on a swivel looking for that guy running the ball. So, Yeah, if you're, I mean, if you're going to go as overboard on targeting penalties as they have, then that, that play has to be a penalty. That, you, that cannot be legal because now you're, you're begging for it. Yeah, agree. I think it's going to, you know, if we're going to make highlights out of that, I think somebody's going to make a highlight out of putting him out of the game. So, But back to the actual game, I would just like to highlight the fact that, you know, Wake Forest, as we already knew, plays absolutely <laughs> zero defense. I knew this was coming. And Pitt just beat them like a drum. And then on the flip side, I said, Pitt's defense is actually pretty good. And they struggled early. But after, you know, they finally got a wrap of what Wake Forest offense was doing, they settled down and they pretty much shut them out the rest of the game. Yeah, that's right. 21 in the first quarter, goose eggs the rest yeah, of the way. I don't think they scored after the first quarter, did they? Nope. Goose eggs the rest of the the, the game. 21-14 after the end of the first, and it was all Pittsburgh after that. Kenny Pickett, he's on his way no. to New York. Does anybody disagree with that decision? I don't. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, they had a great year. He's had some just unbelievable games, some good wins. So I don't uh, necessarily disagree with, you know, him being there. I think it's okay. So congrats to Pittsburgh on winning their first ACC championship. They went two years ago but got killed by Clemson. Isn't that right? Yeah, which everybody who's gone to the ACC championship has pretty much done in the last seven or eight years. Right. So, you, you know, don't really yeah. hold him responsible there. But, yeah, Narduzzi, you had uh, you had that guy on Firewatch midway through the season, Timmy. Just like to point that uh, out. Well, I did because, I mean, they <laughs> lost to Western Michigan. Right. Like, that, yeah. What was it, the second or third week of the season, he which is, on, like, on brand for him every year this year. He, he always, you know, pit is pitting. You know, I thought it was that. Yeah. Well, he, I'm he glad had him on they, fire uh, watch because he deserved to be on fire watch. Maybe so. And I'll tell you what, that, that Western Michigan loss is the only thing keeping them out of the discussion for a playoff spot. Well, who else no, did that? They? In Miami. I was about to say, they lost to Miami too, right? They did lose yeah. at home to Miami, but if that if that I mean, home Miami loss was their only loss, I'm just saying they'd... Yeah, you, you could have talked me into them being in the discussion you know, if their only loss was to Miami and their ACC champs, you know? Yeah, well, one loss, could, Power 5 champ. I could see the argument. But yeah, that Western Michigan, that's almost as bad as a Stanford loss. Who are they playing in the bowl game, Pittsburgh? Who are they, they facing? Are, Does anybody- they are playing the team who would enjoy playing them the least and that is the team with the worst pass defense in the country in yards per game allowed and that is the michigan state spartan michigan state yeah, sparty that Ooh, is the worst boy, possible a, matchup for michigan state 
Oh, man. Mel Tucker ain't wearing shorts for that game. <laughs> nope. I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to call our boys over at the uh, Standing yeah. Room Spartans podcast and get their take on that one. Oh, that they, they can't be excited for that. They cannot. I, I doubt it. So, I don't know. Uh, good, But, you know, kudos to Wake Forest, though. I mean, 10-3. and three, I know it was a down year for the ACC, but, I mean, they. I, I was really impressed. I'm glad that, uh, you know, Finally, some other, I guess, some other teams showed up and like, you know, won some games, won double digit games. So we just, it's been Clemson and everybody else for so long. So I know that uh, Clemson fatigue and Alabama fatigue are kind of real things. And uh, we'll get to more of that in a minute. But uh, moving forward, I would like to, uh, you know, not toot my own horn here, but I did say that Baylor was going to ruin Oklahoma State's season. And Eric, this one's for you. Uh, Spencer Sanders threw four interceptions. Good, good God. And probably played the worst game I've ever seen him play. Uh, I said he sucked preseason. He kind of sort of just, you know, lugged his way through the season and won a bunch of games and they went 11 and 1 and yada, yada, yada. And then he showed his true colors against Baylor. Dave Aranda, he's got to be the coach of the year, right? At least in the Big 12, you would think. Uh, well, certainly in the Big Twelve, and I think he's got a pretty strong case for uh, you know, nationally. Um, I would think so. I mean, they were projected to win what four their, games? Their Vegas number were four and a half, uh, I believe, and we all took the under. I think it's got to be a, a three-way race between you know him, Mel Tucker, and Pat Narduzzi. I'd imagine. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Wake's yeah. coach might get some consideration too. Well, I, I think your boy Harbaugh might get some love. You kidding me? Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe so. Yeah, that's a good call. Harbaugh may be coach of the year. <laughs> Beats Ohio State, makes the playoff on a much reduced salary. So good call there. But man, this Oklahoma State Baylor game, good God. I applaud Gundy for, you know, having a chance to win the game. I really don't put the loss on him. He did make some questionable decisions in the fourth quarter, but ultimately they worked out to his benefit because they had the ball on the two-yard line with first and goal, and they got stuffed four plays in a row, and, you know, they lost. I, I don't know. I mean, it, they should have won the game. It was more just like a lack of execution, so I don't want to completely crucify Gundy here. Well, I mean, anytime you turn the ball over four games and you still have an opportunity to win on the goal line at the end of the game, I mean, you're doing something right. right. So, so I, yeah, four interceptions for Spencer Sanders. They, it was an ugly game, turnovers all over the place. But Baylor, Big 12 champs, never would have thought, not in a million years before the season, if I would have bet my house they would not have won the Big 12. Yeah, so, with a backup quarterback, no less. So, you know, I think uh, that game there, probably neither one of us or none of us in a million years would have projected those would have been the two teams in the Big 12 title. I think we all would have picked Iowa State and Oklahoma. But yes, yep. Getting 100%. to some more getting to some more meaningful games here. Uh, I want to talk about the big snoozer first, because I'll be honest, I didn't watch any of it. I know Eric watched some of it and gave up on it eventually <laughs> about eight minutes left in the fourth. Yeah, um, I, I gave up when Kirk Ferentz did. Yeah, that's right. Uh, punning, punning on fourth down when you're down 21 or whatever it was with eight minutes to go uh, from your own 50 or from the midfield, yeah, basically. Midfield-ish, yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he called Hunter. He was like, hey, what's the money ball play here? Uh, would, would they be someone that you would think would know anything? Yeah, you pun it, coach. You must think I'm dumb. The fuck you do. 
He gave up, and uh, the rest of his team did too because Michigan tacked on 21 in the fourth quarter and just D, capital D, destroyed Iowa 42-3. to <laughs> Like, we knew Iowa had some offensive struggles throughout the year. Their offense was mostly terrible throughout the year. But, man, when they met a, a team with a real defense, and, I, you know, kudos to Harbaugh. I think they do have a real team. I think their team is real, like especially on defense. But – you know, I know that uh, they are an eight-point dog to Georgia. It wouldn't shock me if they covered. I mean, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I was actually pretty impressed with them. I don't know. What's your what's your take on that, Timmy? I think that those two teams are kind of mirror images of each other, really. So I'm not sure which way to go in projecting that game. I'd, I'd stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Mich- Michigan's the number one team in the country against the spread this year. They're 11-2. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't uh, I don't know that that's going to stick playing a team like Georgia, which we'll get to in a minute. But Iowa, 10-3, you know, I, I don't feel like they should have even been there. I think, like I've said, I think Minnesota vastly underachieved this year at nine wins or eight wins, excuse me. And uh, yeah, I feel like uh, Iowa was just the product of a really, really, really bad Big Ten West. Am I wrong, Eric? No, I think that this Iowa team that we watched all year in most years would not win the Big Ten West. They would not beat Wisconsin, for instance, um, most years. They... yeah. They've done, you know, I don't know, the defense and special teams got them through some close wins. And because uh, they were what? They were nine and three in the regular season? Uh, 10, 10 and two. 10 and two. Um, yeah. They I mean, just, I hate to say it out loud, but for my viewing pleasure, I would have preferred to see Fleck row in the boat. Yeah. That's I right. I think it would have been a more yeah. interesting game. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's injury related. I mean, Ibrahim going down, your best player goes down in week one. <laughs> Like the, you know, it's not excuses for losing to Bowling Green in Illinois, but still, I think they were probably the most talented team in the Big Ten West this year and vastly underachieved. So, you know, good on Iowa for winning all their games like they did, but go back and look at their schedule. They didn't beat anybody that was any good. I don't think any of us thought Iowa had a chance to win that game. So, you know, but whatever. I mean, Michigan, they pretty much won the Big Ten when they beat Ohio State. So, but uh, they... They're about to run into a buzzsaw, so good fucking luck. But um, And then the other game that had some meaningful you know, shit to it before we get to Alabama and Georgia, uh, Houston and Cincinnati. I would like to, not to say that Cincinnati wouldn't have won the game still, but did anybody see the terrible fucking pass interference call that happened? Did anyone see that? I did. No, I didn't see I, it. I saw a replay of it. It was bad. I mean. It, yeah, it was god awful. Cincinnati goes for it on fourth down, gets stopped, basically throws the ball behind the receiver, and so he has to reach back for it. But when he slows down and reaches back for it, the guy covering him, you know, contacts Run, him. And runs so, into him, yeah. Yeah, runs into him. Not his fucking fault. The guy slowed down and stopped trying to catch a ball. I mean, it just, it was a terrible call. Cincinnati, personal foul, you know, or pass interference, automatic first down, next play, touchdown Cincinnati. Then the quarterback throws an interception. I mean, it just, I don't know. They scored 14 points in like 30 seconds, and it was all she wrote after that. So not saying Cincinnati still wouldn't have won the game, but that penalty really, really hurt Houston. Just crushed them, took them out of the game, I feel like. So, I mean, that, you know, they came out in the second half. Cincinnati did and just started running it up. 
you know, scored 21 quick points on them, and that was it. So, Cincy, first group of five team in the playoffs. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. And they are absolutely getting the, you know, group of five treatment. Hey, you guys want a shot? Guess what? You get to play Alabama first week. <laughs> so, yeah. So, all the questions should be answered after after December 31st, whether or not uh, they are worth a shit. And I feel bad for the rest. I, I I don't like anything RG3 says. I can't stand that guy when he talks. He just, he'll say whatever to try to get clicks and this, that, and the other. But he did make one interesting point. He said, unfortunately, the rest of the group of five is going to be judged on this. So... No, well, he's not wrong. Yeah, he's I not. Mean, I mean, that's a valid point because yeah, that's the least dumb thing I've heard him say in years. Yeah, it's been a number of times where there's been a group of five team, you know, that's been in the discussion and they've been snubbed, and you know, Cincinnati's not the first of its kind, so he's he's definitely not wrong, right? And so if Cincinnati goes out there and gets absolutely destroyed by Alabama, I feel like that's the end of the conversation. There won't be any more. There won't be any more group of five. I don't think they're going to get beat by 40 or anything. Yeah, but. I, I don't know. I mean, I we'll talk about, we'll we'll preview it later on, but just initial thoughts with Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest game in the history of their school. So for me to say they're just going to show up and lay a giant egg and get completely dominated, I think that would be a poor, like, bet, I guess. Like, if the line was 20, I I wouldn't touch it because – if anything, if 2021 has shown us anything, it's shown us that it's fucking crazy and you don't know what's going to happen. So based on all the shit that's happened this year, if they came out and beat them, I wouldn't be shocked. But the playoff committee absolutely just said, all right, well, you want to be in? Here you go. Here's a yeah. shot against number one. Well, <laughs> so, they didn't, I mean, they didn't have much choice once Oklahoma State lost. Yeah. Well, I think they just wanted to avoid, I heard a lot of chatter from people on ESPN and other stuff. I heard a lot of chatter about how if you're going to do an Alabama Georgia rematch, do it in the semifinals and get it out of the way so you can guarantee no prospect of a SEC, an all SEC national championship game. Do you guys wish they would have done that or would you be okay with an all SEC national championship game which is what's expected? I mean, I don't think people are very thrilled about watching them play again whether it's in the first round or the second round. So I think to make it more palatable, I guess the easiest answer is to split them up, you know, in the instance that one of them loses and then you don't end up with that rematch in the national title game. I don't know. I see much of a difference. I mean, other than just, we don't want two SEC teams. Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't know. I I don't know what the, the playoff committee, I mean, I'm sure they, if you're rating teams, I don't think there's any way you could rank Cincinnati above Georgia. Oh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I want just, the best four teams in, and I want them ranked at least somewhat appropriately, and I want whoever wins those games to play. And I, I don't give a shit if they're both from the Pac-12. Yeah, well, I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's my stance as well. Of course, being you know, I'm not a Big Twelve fan, so it uh, being an SEC guy, it kind of uh, it's okay with me. But if it was me, I'd kind of I would rather see us play somebody else because I mean, I feel like kind of we already kicked the shit out of them, so it's like. You know, well, okay, let's play him again, but that's probably what's going to happen. But, you know, I don't feel like any of the Alabama players are not confident. If they were to play Georgia again, I'm sure they'd be fine and beating a team twice in a season stuff, but I don't know. I I wouldn't mind seeing seeing them play Michigan or see Georgia if they, or see if uh, Georgia wins, then play Cincinnati or us. I mean, the, the matchups don't matter to me. 
Yeah. We, we've been saying all year that we expect to see these two teams play twice. Like, we can't be the only people on earth who saw this coming. We're not that smart. Yeah, surely not. So I, I so. guess I just don't understand why this is such a point of contention for people. But, oh my God, they're going to play twice in, in three games. Well, did you not think that was a possibility when these guys were playing the entire regular season and just wrecking people? Yeah, man, we've, I, we I, saw it in the Big 12 with the Big 12 championship. You know, we saw it. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, all those teams play and one of them's going to play twice. You know, it's just kind of how it is. So and it's acceptable over there. I don't know. Maybe the playoffs are different, but I don't know how anybody could look at Alabama and Georgia and say they're not two of the best four. So that's just kind of how it's going to go, I guess, till somebody yeah, I mean, proves I it be, otherwise. Yeah, I wouldn't be thrilled about seeing two teams play in consecutive weeks, but. Well, I mean, you'd have more more of an argument if there were other teams. Right, if there were other options to put in there, sure. But right. but you got a month between games, between the SEC championship and the college football playoff semifinal. You know, that's a lot different from the Bedlam game on Saturday and then the Big 12 championship game featuring the Oklahoma and Oklahoma State the following Saturday. But I don't know. I think it seems like people are just maybe filling time and finding stuff to bitch about. Yeah, seems so. Speaking of things to bitch about, uh, I was uh, approached by two, not one, but two Georgia fans up here in Pennsylvania of all places. And man, Georgia fans are super butthurt. Oh God, tell me about it. Oh man. Oh yeah, you're right there in the mix. I mean, is are you getting the same vibe? Like they are just super distraught and butthurt about Saturday? It, well, so it's, uh, I would say from people I've talked to, it's probably something like a three to one split where three people are just devastated. Like, oh my God, season's over. Fire everyone. Blah, blah, blah. You know, just being your typical <laughs> overreactionary, sky is falling, pearl clutching. We suck. Kirby Smart, <laughs> fuck that guy. Get him right. out. Yeah. So, but then there, there is a certain chunk of, you know, percentage of people who are like, well, lost to Alabama. Like what, you know, it's still a talented roster. You know, you still got guys who can play. They've, they've got 12 games worth of, of, of games to, of, you know, of performance of just dismantling teams to, you know, yeah, they can play with anyone. They can, you know, got to cut out some mistakes, got to do, you know, if they walk in there with the same exact vanilla plain ass game plan, they're going to get their teeth kicked in again. But, you know, they, they're, they're good enough to beat Alabama. And didn't we watch this movie a few years ago when, you know, Alabama and Georgia played in the title game? We did. And this game, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about it. Like this game, uh, it went, I don't want to say exactly like I thought it was going to go, but once Alabama got settled in, like, you know, they went down 10 nothing, And I was thinking, shit, man, like, the, I don't know. We're going to have to answer here pretty quick. And then right out of the gate, Jameson Williams, 67-yard touchdown strike. And I was thinking, okay, here we go. Yep, they're, they're definitely vulnerable in the secondary. All we got to do is protect Young, you know. And that's, man, from then on, it was, it was on. They gave up 24 points in the first half. Georgia's defense did. Most they've given up all season. Gave they it up, gave up the, 24 in the second quarter. Yeah, in one quarter. That's right. So, man, after that, I was like, I, I feel really good about, you know, where my team's at, all that kind of stuff. But just looking at it from not a fan perspective, but <laughs> like Georgia is definitely more beatable than we all thought. Um their defense, I don't want to take anything away from it. It's it's a really good defense, but like we talked about last week, their secondary had not really been tested because, like Eric said, their front seven is so good and most teams don't get to that. But when you face an Alabama team who, like Saban said, man, you you 
you know, you're kind of underestimating them and saying no, no chance Alabama beats Georgia and whatever. You inspire those kids. And there's not a guy that I could think of that I would not, that I could think of that needs motivation assistance less than Nick Saban. So, well, I also think that there was a little bit of, you know, a game plan mismatch here. I think Georgia looked a little bit too cute on offense coming out. I thought they tried to throw the ball a little bit too much, um, where I think it would have been benefited them to, you know, stick with the run and keep the ball away from Alabama. Because, I mean, you have to know objectively that your secondary is your weakest part of your team and you can't just sling it with Alabama. No, and I mean Stetson Bennett. I don't. I don't want to say he was bad. Yes, he threw two. No, bad. he wasn't bad. He threw two bad interceptions. I mean that, that. You know that's that's bad. The two interceptions, bad. The rest of it. I mean he was twenty nine for forty eight, three touchdowns, three hundred forty yards. So it's not like he had some god awful game. But that being said, you know averaging seven yards an attempt. Uh, they're just not explosive. They're just not explosive on offense. They well, they're not a team that's designed to come from behind either. Right. You know, they're designed to play with a lead, play good defense, and run the ball. Yeah, and, and when I you're, just didn't see them run the ball. Right, and when you're averaging three point six yards a carry, <laughs> you just you know right. you you can't you can't do that. And on the other side of it, I mean, Alabama looked like you know the best they've looked all year, especially throwing the ball. I mean, they ran for one hundred and fifteen yards as a team. Nothing crazy. But 26 for 44, three TDs, 421 yards, SEC championship record. I mean, Bryce Young, does anybody question that he locked up the Heisman? Nope. No, ballot's sealed and delivered. Yeah, I would have to agree there, which is uh, funny because I do want to use that as an opportunity to uh, talk about the biggest uh, Heisman snub that I've seen in a while is Will Anderson. I don't understand how Aiden Hutchinson – gets to go to New York and Will Anderson doesn't. Is it simply yeah, you just do. you understand well yeah I you I disagree, do. but you understand, right? Yeah, I right. Yeah. I do agree I disagree with it because it's pure and utter Alabama fatigue. We don't want two Alabama players in New York. We'd rather have a quarterback, not a defensive player. Well, not only that, but I think once you get to this stage of the, you know, Heisman consideration, you pretty much already know who you know, the winner's going to be because he stood out, right? So the other guys that go get the accolade of being a finalist and, you know, do they want to take that away from another guy to put two Alabama guys up there knowing that one of them is going to win it? You know, I think that's the other part of it that feeds into it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of my whole, like, bitch about this thing. It's like, just just stop. Stop inviting players who aren't quarterbacks to the – to the thing. If you're not going to give it to him, don't even invite him. Like, why? What's the point? What's the point in inviting Aiden Hutchinson? Everyone in America knows he's not going to win it. And not only that, he wasn't the best defensive player in the country this year. It was Will Anderson. And it's not even close. I mean, I'll read you their numbers. 58 total tackles for Hutchinson. 91 for Will Anderson. Tackles for loss. 31 and a half for Anderson. 15 and a half for Hutchinson. Sacks, 15 and a half for Anderson, 14 for Hutchinson. I mean, he beats him in every single category, plays on the best team in the country. And on top of that, the guy who's going to win the Heisman, he's the second best player on his team. So I, I, if Will Anderson was eligible to go to the draft, which he's not, he would be a top five pick right now. So I, I don't know. 
I just, I don't really understand why you even invite a guy that you know has zero chance to win it when there's a clear, better option of players. I mean, he did. It's like you said, too. It, it, you know, somewhere along the line, it evolved into who is the best offensive player in the country and, you know, who is the best quarterback more likely. You know, it's kind of similar to, you know, the NFL MVP award. How many times have we seen a non quarterback win that? They just need to redefine what the award is and either make a course correction or make it what it is and be the best offensive player in the country, even though they already have a fucking award for that. Yeah. I mean, when last year we saw Devonta Smith win it, you know, we're probably going to see Bryce Young win it this year. <laughs> like, I got a friend, he's an Auburn fan. He's like, basically the Heisman is who's the best offensive player at Alabama award, you know, but he's not wrong from his perspective. He's an Auburn fan, but <laughs> like, I, I, right. I just, it's like you said, don't even invite defensive players anymore. Just stop it. I mean, it's, you don't even invite the right ones, you know, like take him off of there and invite Kenneth Walker. I would have understood that at least. Guy had an amazing season. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, it's stupid. If you're going to invite defensive players, at least invite the best one. But back to this game really quick. I, there's nothing more you can really say about it other than just the GOAT. I mean, I, I think Georgia, it kind of just went exactly like I said. I don't think Stetson Bennett is good enough to beat them with his arm. He threw for 340 yards and they got drilled 41 to 24. So... I don't know if it's so much him and his arm, yeah, but so, the talent that he's going around to, you know, that, that's kind of where the issue lies for me. Yeah, that's that's what stood out to me when I watched, because I only watched the second half, because a lot of the people down here are pining for JT Daniels to start if they happen to play again. I'm like, well, is JT Daniels going to keep them from giving up 520 yards of offense to Alabama? <laughs> no. I, I mean, can can JT Daniels cover the middle of the field? Yeah, does he play safety? Right, like, <laughs> and and offensively, it wouldn't have gone any different. It likely, honestly, it would have been worse because nobody was open. Georgia receivers were getting no separation. It, yeah, it, none whatsoever. Nobody had more than three catches outside of Brock Bowers. He had right. ten and, catches for a buck thirty-nine. The next closest guy, three catches. Everybody right. else two but, or but one. even or no, I take that back. James Cook had four catches out of the backfield. But even all of his balls that he caught down the field they were all contested catches yeah like he was just outmanning people for the ball that's not going to change if jt daniels is the quarterback guys guys who aren't open still aren't going to be open so i guess that you know we talked about uh teams kind of giving out the blueprint on how to give alabama a game earlier in the season when they struggled with a couple teams and it kind of to me that game sort of exposed a little bit of a chink in georgia's armor is that they really don't have like who's their most explosive receiving threat well, it's George Pickens, but he's still hobbled. You know, he he just came back. So outside of Brock Bowers, it's George Pickens, but he's a shell of what he was to this He point. is, which means down the field, if you're not talking, it's either a freshman tight end or Lad McConkey. Yeah, and who had two catches for 35 yards. Right. <laughs> so, so then you compare that. 32. So right, the one, so you compare that to John Mechie and Jamison Williams, and those those are not the same type of players. No. So, no, no. you know, maybe, maybe that's an element that, uh, that Kirby needs to, to look at addressing is, you know, and they, they, they get like five-star receivers. They just don't really turn into guys who look like five-star receivers necessarily. Well, I think that's because they don't have quarterback. They don't have a QB that can really make those guys look good. You know, they don't have the Mac Jones or the Bryce Young. They just don't. 
I mean, that Stetson Bennett, he's a walk-on for a reason. It's not like he was a five-star QB coming out of high school. I mean, the guy's a walk-on who developed into a pretty decent player and is a good game manager, and he's surrounded by superstars everywhere. But when you meet another team that's full of superstars and has a quarterback, you're going to be in trouble. But touching on John Mechie real quick, I don't know what you guys think about it. I don't really, I don't want to say it's not a big blow, but he did uh, go down for the rest of the year. He will not play in the playoffs. Uh, He tore an ACL. So that, uh, yeah, it's a big loss. I mean, he had 97 yards receiving in the first half. So I I don't know. Jameson Williams is still there, the breadwinner there. Seven graphs or buck 84, two TDs. But uh, I don't know. I feel like losing Mechie, man, it's going to be real interesting. People will start. I feel like more teams, like whatever, Cincinnati, they're going to be double covering Jameson Williams. So, well, yeah, at least they Mechie, better be. <laughs> Mechie, Mechie being out changes that Cincinnati game a lot because uh, Cincinnati has uh, maybe the best cornerback in the country. A lot of people think Sauce Gardner's the best corner in the country. So, if he's, you know, they're not having to have the debate of, you know, do we have him follow a guy? Do we have him play a side? Do we have, and it's just, you're on him because there's no other guy to necessarily worry as much about. And and Cincinnati's other corner is really good too, but they're probably more well-equipped defensively to to keep up and slow down Alabama than Georgia was. Yeah, the the, the problem with, with what I see for Cincinnati there is just I, I don't think their front seven is really going to be good enough to get a big push up front, and I think Young is going to have enough time to because, I mean, if you give that guy time, eventually somebody's going to get open. <laughs> like we saw it against Georgia. He had time and they, you know, he found plenty of open guys, you know, against the best defense in the country. So I don't I don't know. But uh, should be interesting, man. I don't know. We'll see what happens there. Um, but before we move ahead, I do want to take a quick break and we will tell you about our sponsor. So we will be right back. Hey, South End Zone fans. I'm here to tell you about our corporate sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. With the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, no reason to worry. They'll take care of you. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. That is the Pigskin Podcast Network. Bet $1 on any team to score and you win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with the promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit, $1 wedge required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And welcome back to the South End Zone Podcast here on the Pigskin Podcast Network. All right, so before the break, we were talking about Georgia, Alabama, little bit of matchups for Cincinnati. So I want to move this forward to the playoffs discussion. Uh, Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. Do Eric, did they get it right? Is there any question in anybody's mind that these are not the four best teams or did, did they get it right? Oh, I think they got it right. And I don't, I don't know that I've seen anyone who is claiming that they didn't. I, I have seen some people complain, Oh, well, 
you know, they only have Georgia at three, so they don't have to, you know, bump them down to four and play Alabama. But I mean, yeah, the, the, the four teams that are on the list are the correct ones. I think basically everyone agrees on that. And then, you know, the, the order, I personally think it's correct, but you know, some do not. And I kind of sort of understand it. I just disagree. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, two and three is kind of trivial. You know, I, I feel like that's really the only two you could argue. You could argue Georgia should be two and Michigan should be three, but it doesn't really matter. They're going to play each other regardless. So that to me, I I think Michigan's more of a product of just when they won their big games, <laughs> you know, like they second half. Yeah. Well, and it's like we said, they pissed that game against Michigan State away. They had a big lead and pissed it away. So I I feel like they should be undefeated anyway. So I, I'm fine with them being at two, Georgia being at three. I don't think that's any issue. I mean, Timmy, do you agree they got it right? Do you think that's the best four and the order is correct? No, I think this is the first time in the playoff selection era where we haven't really had an argument about anybody getting left out that had a legitimate bitch. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some Notre Dame fan somewhere fucking crying in a corner that they didn't get in, but he's just full of shit and nobody's told him the truth. So every every Notre Dame fan I know has, has kind of taken the stance, like they're more like disappointed they couldn't quite get in, but they understand like, hey, we cannot get in over Cincinnati. Yeah, with, no. With I mean, the head-to-head, like they get it. Yeah, and I mean, fortunately that's, like the the fourth team is one team that actually beat them. Like they I mean if Cincinnati was undefeated but had beat a different power 5 team than Notre Dame and Notre Dame's 11 and 1, I could see an argument, but fortunately they actually played. So, you know, it worked out pretty well. And now, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I think this is sort of a big blow for the 12 team argument. I could be wrong because, you know, more more teams in means more money and home playoff games and all that kind of stuff. I, I get all that argument. But from the committee's perspective, why expand? There's no question on who the four best are. They're in. Like, let them play it out. Like, well, why do why do we need 12? There's no question this year. And it just kind of, it's happened to work out that way where you had a, a lot of, a lot of tw- two lost teams. Like, you didn't have as many lost, one loss or undefeated teams as normal. I mean, like the de- the decision is pretty straightforward. You don't need the BCS computers. You don't need a ton of deliberation with the committee. It's just it's fairly clear cut. Like here's the top five teams. These two are neck and neck, but Team A beat Team B head to head, so they kind of have to be the fourth the fourth team. So I don't know if it's necessarily an a, an argument for or against expansion. It seems kind of separate to me. They've had plenty of years where it wasn't nearly this clear cut, and it was. Why is it this team and not that team? Why is it this team and not that team? You know, or why is this team four and this team six? And so well, I, what's funny is those years that you speak of, and I think I know which two you're speaking of. One of those years, Ohio State snuck in at four, and the other, Alabama, snuck in at four. Both of those teams won the championship. So it's like, okay, well, clearly they were right <laughs> putting them in at four. Right. No, I'm not talking about any years in particular. It's just, I think every other season, there's been some sort of debate on. You know, between four and five, or four, five, and six, or even See, and within. I don't think no. that will ever stop. I don't think it'll ever stop. It doesn't no. matter how many teams you put in. You'll never stop the argument about people getting snubbed, but I mean, I think the argument is based off of the fact, like you talk about teams sliding in at four and winning the national championship. Who's to say that somebody who's at six in a twelve-team format can't win a national championship? Right now, that I would. Right now, the, that would be Ohio State. 
Right. Right. And, you know, and nobody would be fucking wouldn't be out of your mind if you said that they don't have a chance to beat any of those other teams. And <laughs> no, I think, Ohio, I think I think Ohio State matches up great with a team like Georgia. I mean, you saw what Alabama well, did to them. So. And that's kind of my point is I think, you know, from a fan perspective, the average person that consumes college football just wants to see teams play in a playoff format and let the team sort it out on the field and take all the ranking bias out of it. Because I think a lot of people get fed up with that shit. Man, you got to get a you got to get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. I'm a big proponent of they shouldn't even release rankings until you know the last couple of weeks of the season. I just I don't I don't even see the point. Like what? And I think that's a large reason of why we've been getting these sort of generic, trivial kind of answers throughout the season because. They don't want to give you any kind of hard criteria that they're going by throughout the season well, with their can't. playoff rankings. Yeah, they can't because so they, they don't know. Yeah, and that way they don't have to justify that shit at the end if it goes bad. So they're in a tough spot, I feel like. The way things are going, like these things take time. The playoff system, is it perfect? No. Was the BCS system perfect? No. But did it get, did it, get it right? Probably nine times out of 10? Yeah. Once it got going, you know, after the whole... 2003, 2004 timeframe, you know, with USC and Auburn going undefeated and all that shit. After that, it was pretty clear cut and dry with the BCS and it worked most of the time. And they expanded to a playoff to avoid a situation like what happened in 2011. See, I see it a, I see it a different way because, I mean, you talk about how many times did the BCS get you know, the number one ranked team versus the number two ranked team and played each other, right? Well, I think the argument has always been that just because you're the best team or, you know, the number one ranked team, we shouldn't give you the national championship. You should have to play other equally tough teams in a playoff format and go on some type of tournament run and, you know, prove that you're the championship caliber team that you are by beating other championship caliber teams. I think that's what the argument's for, not about teams getting snubbed, because that's just fans being salty, in my opinion. Yeah, well, it, I, I'm just maybe I'm a little too old school, you know, and I really value the regular season, especially in the SEC, because, I mean, I mean, being a putting on my Alabama Homer hat for a second, they play in the toughest division in football, the SEC West. I mean, it's tough as shit every year. There's, you know, been multiple national championships won by, what, three, four different teams in that side over the last 10 years? I mean, it's like, <laughs> Jesus, you know, it's, it's a tough division to play in. So I put a lot of value on the regular season, whereas maybe some others don't, you know, I, I don't know. So I feel like I... There's no way you can expand it without sacrificing some value of the regular season. Like, who gives a shit that, you know, Michigan State lost to Ohio State 56-7? to They're still in. Like, to me, if you lose 56-7, to you don't deserve to go to the playoffs. I don't know. If you lose 56-7, to but then you beat three highly ranked teams in a playoff format and, you know, you win, I mean, doesn't that erase that bad loss? No, it doesn't erase it. It actually happened. Like, what's the excuse? Like, you got drilled 56 to 7. But I'm saying you're, you're creating this scenario where you have to be perfect, and that just doesn't exist. Well, I think that's the goal of 
playing football, right? Is to have a perfect record to win all your games? Well, like, I mean, is, that, th- is that not the goal? You guys are talking about two extremes, though. Like, one of you is talking about being perfect, and one of you is talking about getting beat by 50. Like, there, there's a middle ground there. My whole thing with the expansion is I don't, I'm not convinced that 12 is the right number. Like, you I think eight, you think, think eight is the better number? Well, I think, yeah, I do, because I think once you get past eight, the, so you look at like, look at the, the playoff rankings right now nine, Oklahoma State, 10, Michigan State, 11, Utah, Pitt, 12. If those teams didn't get into a postseason playoff, like, would anybody be heartbroken? Be like, oh, God, they really deserve, they can, compl- Maybe Utah, they'd be scary, but I don't think they'd win it all. But then you look at who's eight, Ole Miss, seven, Baylor, six, Ohio State. I mean, those teams can, can, could go D. I think once you get past eight, you're getting into two and three loss non conference champions. And those, you know, there's a, there's a deserve aspect at that point that I think would be lacking. Right. And that's my biggest argument with this. That's my biggest like complaint about it. It's like if you lose three games in the regular season, where you only play 12, there's 120 teams. It's not the NFL where there's only 32 teams. And everybody has the same salary cap where they can get the same level of talent. This ain't like that. I mean, there is a talent evaluation aspect to college football. That's what makes it unique, you know. So just because X team got hot and won three or four games against some good teams, they got the shit kicked out of them three times. Like, they don't deserve to be in. I mean, that... What you do in weeks one, two, and three should matter for the playoffs, in my opinion. I feel strong about this now, really strong. You disagree with that, Timmy? Well, no, I just keep going back to, you know, I agree that, you know, if you get beat by a large margin, you know, that is obviously a black eye. But I think you should be afforded the opportunity to overcome that by playing well and beating other quality opponents. I mean, we see it all the time week to week in college football where upsets happen and teams that we never thought would lose get beat. And if you have that in a playoff format, it creates excitement. And like I've said before, it creates opportunity for programs that never would have had an opportunity at a national championship to actually get one. You're not wrong. But the problem where I see with that, like that logic is that there's too many teams. Like, there's 130 fucking teams to choose from. There's five power conferences. Like, there's so many teams that it's not, you know, there's, you can't really narrow it down to, like, you, you still have to rank them. You know, there's not like a, it's not simple like the NFL where, well, there's this many teams, there's 32 teams, and based on their records, that's how we rank them. You know, there's not that in college football. You still have to look and evaluate all these teams based on what they did in the regular season and still rank them. So there's still going to be arguments to be had whether or not they should be ranked at this or that. Should they be 12 or 13? I mean, it's like this team got the shit kicked out of it four times this year, but they got really hot and beat number one and number three at the end of the year. Should they be in? It's like, no, they shouldn't. They got the shit kicked out of them. So what if they got hot the last two games of the year? They lost four games. Now, I'm not talking about getting hot at the end of the regular season. What I'm talking about is getting hot in the playoff format. I mean, I think you're never going to get rid of the, you know, the rankings and, you know, what the criteria may or may not be. But all I'm saying is, is that, you know, if a team slides in at 12 in a 12 team format, everybody assumes that they're probably going to lose. But what happens if they don't lose is all I'm saying. Well, 
I'm going to move on because I think I, I, I think we're heading towards an argument here. <laughs> I think I think it's about to get intense. So I'm going to lighten the mood real quick. Uh, we're going to skip. I think we're going to skip this bowl game segment because we, we've already run really long here. So I'm going to skip this and I'm going to really brighten you guys' day because somebody showed up in my email inbox yesterday. Oh, my. And uh, boys, you better get your buckets of ice for these hot takes I'm about to throw at you because that damn guy is back. Oh, God. Did he crawl his way out of the hole he fell into last week? He is back. So here is the email I got from that damn guy uh, yesterday. He said, South End Zone guys, heard the last pod when you skewered my picks. That's interesting. Considering we now have four playoff teams secured. And a couple of months ago, you guys had the likes of Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Clemson cemented in. (laughs) Who did he have? I don't know. Right. I don't know. So That damn guy was on Michigan at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I don't know. Cincinnati called it? Yeah, I'm going to leave that one uh, up to chance. I don't know. He didn't say who he had. But he said, but I'll let you slide on that and just continue to try and educate you on picking winners. Oh, God, this guy's such a dick. Let's start with the playoffs. Look for Cincy to serve up humble pie to Crimson Nation and Saban himself. Take Cincy and the points, Bama by a field goal. All right. Interesting. Oh, God. I I don't hate that rationale. I don't hate that, depending on what the line is. The line is 13 and a half. I saw like 13 or something. 13 and a half. Then look for Harbaugh to cover the Bulldogs with a pleated khaki blanket and, <laughs> and put them to bed before the new year while the Wolverines celebrate their big win in South Beach. Michigan 31, UGA 20. Happy bowl season. <laughs> Signed, that damn guy. <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, the, these might be the, the least delusional picks we've heard from him this year, you know, so. I don't so, know. I don't, see, I don't see Michigan scoring 31 points on Georgia, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite see that. I, I don't hate Cincinnati covering at all. Um, no, just, I don't either. Just because defensively, I think they match up okay. Yeah, I, I think Cincinnati could definitely cover the spread. I mean, speaking as an Alabama fan, most, most Bama fans expect Bama to win big. I don't really think so. I think it's a lot harder to get up for a Cincinnati game than it is a Georgia game where you're an underdog. So it wouldn't shock me if Cincinnati covered the spread. I mean, I think it'll be a good game. I honestly do. Well, not only that, but I mean, we've seen a couple of times this year, Florida, Auburn. I mean, they haven't played great a couple of weeks. Yeah, so LS, yeah LSU, Texas A&M. I mean, yeah, it's, Arkansas. they've had some, yeah, Arkansas. They've had uh, some bumps along the way. So but I do love when everybody's like, oh, it's a down year for Alabama. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is a down year. We're 12 and 1 SEC champs. It's down year. We lost a game. It's bullshit. I don't know. Michigan, it wouldn't shock me if the total of that game finishes up under 31. Like if it was a 17 14 game, I would be, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be, you know, like, well, that makes sense. You know, I don't think either team's going to score a lot of points personally. I, I don't see it. Do you guys disagree with that? No, I don't just. I don't. No, think I don't it, disagree with it. I haven't, yeah. I haven't even looked at lines. I don't know what the the total is for that one. Uh, Georgia minus eight was what I saw today. So, do yeah, we have a take on that? Georgia not, minus eight. Not yet. Not no, yet. You're gonna have to wait a couple episodes. Mm. Yeah, that one's gonna have to simmer. 
Gotta let it marinate. But, uh, all right. Well, that is going to wrap us up for the week. Uh, you guys can find us on Twitter at South End Zone Pod. Uh, same on Instagram. Uh, we are part of the Pigskin Podcast Network. We'd like to thank our sponsor, DraftKings. And we will be back with you next week and we will start getting into our bowl game previews. Uh, we had to skip over that this week because of time, but we'll be back with it next week. So until then, we will see you next week. Thank you very much. Have a great day.